You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. So I appreciate you guys joining me this morning. Um, Again, if you're new to my ministry, I I have a social media ministry. Um, I've got a fairly large social media ministry on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and now I'm starting to uh, grow my ministry on TikTok. My ministry is focused on Jesus. I want to help you understand who Jesus is, but I also want to help you understand who you are as a child of God. If we can get our identity down pat as children of God, everything begins to click. Everything starts to make sense. Even when things are difficult around us, we know who is in us and we know who we are. Those are the two things that are most important. When we understand the goodness of God through Jesus, then things make sense, even when they don't make sense as far as our circumstances. Now, um, I do also like to point out that I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor basher. (laughs) I love pastors. I'm not a church basher. I love churches. My ministry is to get you to focus on the true original message of God's grace. Once we get this down pat, just like our identity, who Christ is, who we are, then all this stuff that's confusing will start to make some sense. So when I say I'm not a pastor, my goal is to help you understand that there's nothing lacking in who you are as a non-pastor. The ratio of pastor to non-pastor on planet Earth, is, that's a pretty, pretty big difference. But we have elevated this position to something that's not scriptural. What we have made as the modern church, the position, air quotes, because the past, the pastor position is not actually a position. We have made that something that it's not. So when we look at scripture and we see the word pastor, it's only used once in the epistles. It's used in the book of Ephesians and it's listed as a spiritual gift. It is a shepherding gift. It is an overseer. It is somebody who's really good at leading groups. But just because somebody has that gift does not mean we are to replace them with Christ. Just because somebody has that gift does not even mean that they should be teaching. Some people have a teaching gift. Some people don't have a teaching gift. The pastoral gift is a shepherding gift. If you look at how a shepherd oversees sheep, Not that we are the sheep of the shepherd with the pastoral gift, gift, not position. That doesn't mean that that person has additional knowledge that you don't have. That doesn't mean that that person needs to be checked in with for everything. Because at the end of the day, we are Jesus's sheep, not a pastor's sheep. The pastor position has been elevated to a spot that... It was never meant to be elevated to, okay? So when we think of our pastors, love them, respect them, but let's start focusing on Jesus and then have a relationship with the person who is a pastor. All right. Now, um, I also like to tell you, I don't have any theological training. I don't have any seminary degree, but if we look at scripture, how many of them had theological training? How many of them had a seminary degree? Does this make sense to you? 
So a person who is brought up with the mindset of pastors are smarter than the lay Christian. People who have seminary degrees are greater, smarter, better, need to be doted on, need to be lifted up on a pedestal above lay Christians. We are all equal. We are all a body of believers. So I want you to have confidence in who you are as a person, as a child of God, and then you can enjoy whatever relationships you have, whether it's at what we've turned into our church, whether it's with whatever we've turned in that pastoral position to, anybody, your spouse, your kids, coworkers, anybody. We got to get the focus back on Jesus and back on who you are. Those things matter. All right. And then uh, what else? Uh, some people like to know how old I am. I'm 40. I'm married. Um, I'm a business owner. I'm just a regular person, just like you lacking nothing because of Jesus. So as we learn and grow and we have different spiritual gifts, we're all one body. We're all building up each other's confidence, encouraging one another. That's really what the church is. Church is not a building. We've named it that. Okay, now let's get to today's walk talk. And I'm going to repeat this title. Let's see here. I know it would have been difficult for me before I understood the new covenant. Christians are forgiven before we sin. Now we don't, when we don't understand the new covenant, this is hard to fathom. And the new covenant is simply what Christ brought in through his death and resurrection. It's a promise between the father and the son made at the cross through the blood of Jesus. The new covenant replaced the old covenant and now we are beneficiaries to the new covenant by grace through faith. By no work of our own, we receive everything that Christ has received. Okay? So that's the new covenant. And when we don't understand the new covenant, we put our place in the spot of Jesus. So I was interacting with somebody the other day on social media. And I said this, Christians are forgiven before we sin. And... I was attacked. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry about me. <laughs> I'm used to it. It's fine. I don't take these things personal. However, this person said, you're telling me that if I murder somebody, I'm already forgiven. Do you see where they went with it? They thought of what they thought is the worst possible sin. And then they said, you're saying they're already forgiven. And the answer before I continue is yes. If you're a Christian, you're already forgiven before you commit any sin. If you're a Christian, the wages of sin is death from gossip to murder. The first chapter of first Roman, the first chapter of Romans tells us this. From gossip to murder, sin is sin. So when we try to say God won't forgive that sin, what is that actually doing? 
That is belittling the blood of Jesus. That is trampling on the spirit of grace. That is saying your sin of murder is greater than the blood of Jesus. You're not forgiven. If you're a Christian, you commit murder, you're not forgiven. That's basically what that's saying. But when we're brought up in a repentance works theology of repent continually to be forgiven. And then somebody says you're already forgiven before you actually change your action or attitude. This does not compute. This is hard for them to fathom. So it's going to create anger, which is what was coming at me. Or it's going to create hypocrisy. We're going to belittle our sinful action or attitude. We're going to say, it wasn't murder. I killed them. It was self-defense. Or I did this because. Or I gossiped because. Or I lied because. or And then we try to justify it. Do you see that? This is why Paul told the Romans, the wages of sin is death. Every sin. Every sin. We don't get to choose. So yes, we are already forgiven before we sin. So let's look at what sin, let's look at what forgives us. What is the only thing that can possibly forgive you? Blood. Blood. Hebrews 9:22 says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Blood. Why do you think Jesus had to die a bloody death? could have been hung, could have been drowned, but he had to shed his blood. God requires blood for forgiveness, both before and after the cross. But after the cross, you're accessing the blood of Jesus. And how many times is Jesus shedding his blood for you when you sin? He's not. Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter 10, both say he's resting just fine. So if you're going to be forgiven every time you sin, Jesus is going to have to pour out his blood again every time you sin. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. He's resting. He paid for your sin. You're forgiven. He can see the future. He has looked down the timeline of your life and he has decided not to hold any of your sins against you. He's not bound by time. We are bound by time, space, and matter. He's not. So this time frame that we have, he can see past it. He knows what you're going to do. And he's already decided to forgive you. So if we look at a couple different rebuttals to this, some people will say, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That's true for an unbeliever. So the first chapter of 1 John is an invitation for unbelievers to join us in fellowship with the Father and Son. If you start at the beginning of the chapter, it's an invitation. It's saying, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. Who's the truth? Jesus. So if I say sin is not a real thing and... You Christians are crazy. Am I saying I have no sin? Yeah. 
I don't have any sin. That's what was happening there. John was actually battling the Gnostics. So he was writing a letter to this young group of Christians. And there's this um, other group. <laughs> and they were Gnostics. What did the Gnostics say? A couple different things that were against the truth of the gospel. First of all, they were saying sin is not real. There's no such thing as sin. You Christians are making this up. So that's why he said, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves in 1 John 1, 8. Okay. But if we will confess or admit that we are sinful, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of, what's the three letter word? All unrighteousness. He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. All means all. It's an invitation for the Gnostics to say, yeah, you're right. Sin's real. I have sinned against God. I was born sinful. What's the second thing they were saying? The Gnostics were saying that Jesus would never have come in the flesh. Not like us. This flesh we have, they're saying Jesus was more or less a hologram. Why is that? Because they were saying something is wrong with our actual flesh, with our body. We see this today in our modern church. We say, we see, I got to fight the flesh. And then we want to uh, confuse the flesh, which is sarks, which is a separate entity altogether and does not describe our physical body. We'll say, yeah, our spirit and soul is saved, but not my flesh. That's what the Gnostics were saying. They were saying there's something wrong with your flesh. Jesus would have never come in the flesh. So if they were saying Jesus never came in the flesh, how could they possibly believe that he shed blood to forgive them? Does that make sense? Because he wouldn't have had a physical body. And if you don't believe that Jesus shed his blood to forgive you, you are still in your sin. You're still condemned. You're still not forgiven. So this 1 John 1, 9 of, I'm going to use it as a bar of soap. <laughs> Look at it this way. Two huge problems with that. First of all, John was a Jew. He received forgiveness annually at the temple, just like every other Jew. So he's not going to go from, I get forgiveness annually, to now I'm getting forgiveness by my repeated words. John wouldn't have done that. That would have done nothing but belittle Jesus. So John wouldn't have done that. Second of all, if repeated confession repeatedly forgives you, what about the forgi what about the sins you forget to confess? You forgot to confess them. God's not going to forget just because you forget. You still need to be forgiven of them. Because God and sin, they can't mix. And if you're supposed to have the Holy Spirit in you, Yet you're forgiving, you're forgetting to confess every single sin. You're not forgiven of that sin. Some people will even, they can't fathom this once for all forgiveness through Jesus. So they will even look at the book of first John as I'm confessing to receive more fellowship. Fellowship. So they've split up forgiveness <laughs> into you're forgiven, but you still need to do stuff to uh, be back in fellowship. That does nothing but belittle the cross. That's saying you're still working to do something to get something from God. 
which is closeness. You're to God. Fellowship and relationship is the same thing. You don't split them up. You have all of God or you have none of him. And once you have all of God, it's a done deal. You've received the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant. This is the hope that anchors your, your soul. The promise between the father and the son, not you. So when we see the word fellowship in the book of first John, that is an invitation for the Gnostics who were infiltrating this young group of Christians to admit they were sinful, to admit that Jesus came in the flesh and to join us in fellowship. Not, I got to confess so that God will come back because then we're right back to a works-based righteousness of, I got to say stuff to get God to do stuff. Do you see that? Do you see how confusing that would be? So we have to come to the brass tacks of it all and just say, the cross worked. The blood of Jesus was hugely successful. I'm completely forgiven. So when I sin, I'm already forgiven. You know, and I say this a lot and I'm, this is just my personality, but I say this, deal with it. You have to deal with it as a Christian. Deal with your complete forgiveness. Deal with the fact that God will never forgive you again. Deal with the fact that Jesus died for your sins once and he's not going to die for your sins again. Deal with it. It is how you deal with it that is going to dictate the peace that you enjoy. What are you going to do with that? What? Are you going to say, well, I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to put God first. What are you going to do to put God first? What? We're right back to a workspace righteousness. Anything that you in insert in the blank of putting God first is a work. You have to deal with the fact that he put you first. Again, these are hard thoughts. Especially with, you know, the American dream being mixed in with the gospel. I'm all about the American dream. I'm all about working hard and being successful. But I have no right to take that same work ethic and then apply it to the gospel. I have no right to do that. And I have no right to push that on you either. I have no right to get on here and say, put God first. Put him first. You're telling me you can scroll through social media, but you can't stop to, to watch this video and pray for five people? You're telling me you can sit on TikTok for an hour and uh, you won't get up and read your Bible? Put God first. Surrender everything. We are never told to put God first. Who was Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God? Those who thought they were actually doing that. The legalists. He put us first. He put you first. We're never told to surrender. I surrender all. We're not told to do that. We're not at war with God. He's not holding a gun to you and say, believe. He's saying, I love you. Believe. Receive this. And then afterwards, you're not repeatedly, I'm so scared. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to you, Lord. I'm, I'm surrendering to you. It's a loving relationship. This applies to your complete forgiveness as well. 
you know, I got accused the other day of, there's uh, you know, in Satanism, there's a phrase that they, they say, I guess it's Satanism, do as thou wilt, because I was saying Christians should do what they want. Do you're, we see what team you're on McMillan, do as thou wilt. And I looked that up like, oh, okay. So I'm being accused of telling you to sin. Let me be perfectly clear with you. Sinning is not for you. The Holy Spirit who lives within you as well as yourself, you, neither of you want to sin, but you have the ability to sin. So if I get on here and I tell you, behave, repent, confess, what am I doing? I'm stirring up that sin. I'm giving you new commandments. I'm giving you, I could even be giving you old commandments. I could be giving you the law. And what does that do? That stirs up sin. The power of sin is the law. This is, I tell you, you should do what you want so that you figure out what you want. <laughs> That's why I tell you that. So if I say Christians, excuse me, changing my hand here. If I say Christians should do exactly what they want, do what you want. Wake up every day and do exactly what you want. This does not compute for somebody who doesn't know what they want. What do you want? What do you want? At the end of the day, you're going to lay your head down and it's all going to make sense. I didn't want to go off on my spouse. That didn't feel right. I didn't want to cuss out that telemarketer. That didn't go right. I didn't want to read my Bible because it was part of my Bible reading plan. And I had to. That didn't go right. Does it make sense to you? You figure out what you want as you live your life. So yes, you should do what you want as a Christian. If you're an unbeliever, you're, you're already doing what you want. But once you become a Christian, you get new wants. You get new desires. That person where you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to forgive them. At the end of the day, that's not what you want. You know, God is patient with you. He's kind with you. As you figure out how to forgive, as you deal with the pain of being hurt by somebody, but deep inside you, you want to forgive them deep inside you. You want to have a healthy relationship with them. If it's possible, sometimes that's not possible. You want to forgive. You want to live righteously. You want the Holy Spirit to live through you. You want to express love. You want to express joy. You want to express peace. You want to honor your spouse. You don't want to do things in secret that will dishonor them. You don't want to do things publicly that will dishonor them. Even though they've done that to you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get revenge. You don't want to play tit for tat. You want peace. You want love. You want respect. This is what you want. 
So you have to deal with what you really want. And when you understand I'm already forgiven, you're still going to figure out what do you want? Because when you sin, you're going to know, ah, well, that was a dud. You know, we have a new nature. We have a new practice and it is righteousness. As we come to understand that truth, you're going to express who you truly are. So when I say Christians are already forgiven before you sin, I'm trying to let you know about God's grace. I'm trying to let you know that you can't mess this up. I'm trying to let you know that confession is always a healthy thing. Confess it. You know, if you, if you uh, make a mistake, talk about it. Uh, confess to a trusted friend or, you know, have a sit down with your spouse or your loved one and say, I'm really sorry. I overreacted. I shouldn't have said that in that way. Um, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have. Confess. Mature. Learn. Grow. But you're not repeatedly confessing to receive repeated forgiveness. That's the difference. What about repenting? I got attacked the other day. Somebody said, you're just telling people they don't have to repent. We have to repent. <laughs> For what? For what? De define that for me. You know, there's <laughs> pastors who say, all you have to say is, uh, I repent of my sin and I'm saved. What does that mean? How are you doing that? What is it? What? It's confusing because it's not the truth. We repent of unbelief once in our life to be saved. We go from, I'm not a sinner. Jesus did not forgive me. Jesus, psh, prove him. Uh, prove that he existed to me. His existence, he didn't even live. Unbelief. Oh my gosh. I'm a sinner. Oh my gosh. Jesus has forgiven me for free. I believe that. You've repented of unbelief to belief. That is what saves you. You've repented of unbelief. Two different types of repentance in scripture, but we turn the two different types into one type and then we turn it into a works. We have a repentance works righteousness. Repentance works righteousness. There's another type of repentance after salvation. Repentance of actions and attitudes. This is a growth process, a maturation process, but this is not you continually changing your actions and attitudes to repeatedly keep your forgiveness. Remember, only blood forgives. So if I have a repentance forgiveness mindset, I'm belittling the blood of Jesus because only blood forgives. So if I watch that porn afterwards, I'm like, well, pff, that wasn't so great. Then I make a decision. I'm not going to watch it again. And I think that me making that decision is causing God to forgive me. That's a workspace righteousness because your thought of, I'm not going to do that again, did not forgive you again. You were already forgiven before you decided to do that. Does that make sense? And when you decided not to do that again, what if you did it again? 
that does not keep you saved. That does not keep you forgiven. So why should I stop watching the porn? Because God doesn't want me to view people that way. Because God doesn't want me to think of sex that way with multiple people and become addicted to fantasy. That's not God's design for sex. God designed sex to be between one man and one woman in the context of lifelong commitment. So if I indulge in being addicted to sexual fantasy, that's not going to set right with you. But if you look at porn every single day until you're 150 years old, as a Christian, you're already forgiven. You looking at that porn does not cause Jesus to go back in time, get back up on the cross, go back down off the cross, turn into a baby, go back into his mother's womb and go back up into heaven. That's the only way that you could possibly be unforgiven is as Jesus undoes everything he did. So when you understand this grace that I'm struggling with this particular sin pattern, I, I need help with this. Help me, God. Strengthen me. Remind me who I am. Remind me I'm forgiven. Remind me this will never set right with me. So I might as well live and do what I really want because I don't want to look at this porn. That's grace. That is grace. And Paul told Titus, it is the grace of God that teaches you how to live an upright, holy, godly, self-controlled life. Not me getting on here and telling you to put God first. Not me getting on here and tell you to behave better. Not me getting on here and telling you you need to surrender every little nook and cranny of your life. Grace. Grace teaches you. Grace teaches you. Grace teaches you. Grace. And who is grace? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is grace. Grace is Jesus. So... I want to touch on one more thing, minor, one more minor thing before I button this up. How does God forgive you? I talked about this in the beginning by blood without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness. There's two different ways to be forgiven <laughs> before the cross. And after the cross, there were two different ways before the cross animal blood was shed at the temple, the annual day of atonement, the Jews would show up, they would give their best animal. They would shed the blood in the temple by way of the Levitical priest. They would receive forgiveness. That blood atoned. Atone means to cover. Atone is like a credit card. Put it on the books. Atone. All right. What did the blood atonement do? The book of Hebrews tells us it is an annual reminder. It's an annual reminder of their sins. So when they did that, they're like, gosh, I sinned a lot this year. Take my best prized animal. It's my most expensive animal. It's an annual reminder. Now let's look on the other side of the cross. What did Jesus's blood do? It didn't atone for your sins. It did not. Jesus's blood did not atone for your sins. Some of the older translations, we see the word atone a couple times in the New Testament. That's been updated because atone is not the proper word. Jesus did not atone for your sins. Animal blood atoned for your sins. 
Jesus took your sins away. Took your credit card. Cut it up. Shredded it. You're debt free. He remembers your sins no more. <laughs> took your sins away. He does not want to remind you about your sins. He does not want to remind you about anything you've done wrong. He wants to remind you about your righteousness. What I'm doing. He wants to remind you who you are. You're a child of God. You're new. You're blameless. You're holy because of me. That's why we take communion to remember what he's done. It's symbolism for the body and blood of Jesus. But we want to tell people they need to remember their sins and continually repent. We want to tell people that they have to continually confess and hear themselves say that again and again so they can be content. Atone, takeaway, annual reminder. I remember their sins no more. Work. Be sure to go to the temple annually. Make that trek. Rest. I've already gone to the cross. I've gone to the real temple in heaven. I've taken care of your sin debt once and for all time. That's Jesus. Make a bigger deal of Jesus. Stop looking at animal blood. Stop looking at workspace righteousness. Stop looking at repeated confession. Stop looking at repentance. Jesus, grace, you're forgiven. Deal with it. All right, guys. So I hope this has encouraged you today on this cold walk talk. <laughs> it's 25 degrees here in Farmington, Missouri, but I can walk, I can talk. So I wanted to get this walk talk in and I really enjoy these. I enjoy talking to you guys. And, um, if you're, um, wanting to check out some older walk talks, you can always go to my videos tab on my, I, on my Instagram page. And I've got 40 or 50 of them there. And I've recently started reposting these to Facebook. So if you're watching these on Facebook and you're not watching it live, thank you so much for watching. Um, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You Christian are righteous. Not as if, but actually your righteousness is probably the most paramount thing you can remember about yourself. You're righteous. You're righteous. So live righteously. You're blameless. You're holy. You're a new creation. You're completely forgiven. You don't need your forgiveness threatened. So you'll behave. You need your once for all forgiveness encouraged so you'll behave. Tell the truth about yourself, friend. Be yourself. Have a great day. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.